This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Genesis. Tonight we're going to be in the 22nd chapter. Last Wednesday evening I had the opportunity to sit in Pastor Brown's class on storytelling. And he made an important point. Of course, he's looking at the stories in the Bible and also helping folks to be able to be good storytellers as they communicate the Word of God. 43% of our Bible is narrative. It's stories on purpose. That's what the Holy Spirit decided. But he made the point, and then he used some illustrations to help us. He used some stories that biblical truth is powerfully illustrated through story. We learn things about ourselves. We learn things about our God. One of the greatest passages in the Scripture that does this for us is Genesis 22. It's the story of Abraham offering Isaac on the altar. Uh, we're celebrating the Lord's table this evening. And to prepare our hearts, uh, several weeks ago, God laid this text on my heart as I was reading through the Scriptures. The, the Bible tells us we have a high priest who knows the feeling of our infirmities. The Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and He's got human flesh. That's, that continues to amaze me. But think about the fact that we also have a Father in heaven, and He knows too. As Father, He has children who wandered away from Him. He's had children that don't get along out of selfishness and pride. He has children who please him. He has children who have strayed and come back. And there's another story in the Bible that tells us about a prodigal who comes back to the father. Great passage of scripture. But he's also a father who knows what it is to sacrifice his son for others. I've never had to do that. We've had sons in the military. We have one now and a son-in-law, and we pray hard. I, I hope that never has to happen. But God knows what that like, that's like. His son came and died for you and for me. Now, to help us see what is in the Father's heart related to that matter that we're going to celebrate in just a little bit, he gives us a story and he allows us to see into the heart of another father by the name of Abraham. And so, tonight I want to look at some, what I'm calling paternal, fatherly parallels in this wonderful narrative. And I'm just going to read this story and make some comment, and then we're going to come back through and look at those parallels together. 
Genesis 22 and verse 1 says, And it came to pass after these things. God working in Abraham's life, God bringing to Abraham and Sarah the promised heir. That God did tempt, he tested Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now, verse 1 establishes the purpose for this story, and it's in that word that God tested Abraham. Most of us know, perhaps all of us know, what happens in the story. But we're already given a little bit of an idea of what God is intending to do. This isn't final. It's a test. We read on. So the suspense here is partially averted. Abraham, a man who fears and loves God, says, here I am. The tone is submission. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. (laughs) What's he doing? He's tugging on every heartstring in the heart of this human dad. And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Dramatic pause. Imagine any parent being told to do that by God. So what kind of questions would swirl through his mind? Wait a minute. We waited long for a promise from you, and now you want me to kill him. I don't know how that's going to work. And oh, by the way, God, you have us in this land to be a testimony to our neighbors about you. This is what they do to their kids. This is what they do to their children. Did I just hear you correctly? (laughs) What they do around us is repulsive. And what was that again? I notice the faith of this man. The here I am takes steps. Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his ass took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering. Complete preparation rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, from where they're at, three days' journey, he lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now that, path, that verse implies God told him that's it. Somehow God indicated, he said, I'm going to show you. He gets there and God says, that's it. And then Abraham said unto his young men, the servants that were with him, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I have to ask myself, what are these servants thinking? They've seen their master offer sacrifices. He's done all the preparation, and yet he hasn't. Where's the sacrifice? And then he leaves them behind before he goes with his son to make this sacrifice. 
why? I pondered that. I studied it. And I think C.H. Spurgeon is right. Spurgeon suggested that he left these servants behind to prevent any interference. He's tying up his son. He's going to put him on the altar in a little bit. He's going to take out a knife. What do you think the servants are going to do? The master's lost his mind. Get him. Perhaps. Perhaps that's it. But what does he say to them? I and the lad will go yonder. You stay here. We're going to go yonder and worship and come again to you. In your Bible or in your mind, circle the word worship. Here's why. You don't see the attitude of God's servant Abraham saying, let's get this over with. They're going to go do what? They're going to worship. They're going to give God praise. Window into Abraham's heart again. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went up, both of them, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father. And keep in mind, he's, he's likely a young adult at this time, or he's approaching that age. Uh, compared to his father, compared to his father's strength, um, Abraham, or Isaac certainly could outrun his dad at this point. Instead, he is fully cooperating, trusting his dad and his father's faith. But he says, my father. And he said, here am I. So he's there for his God. That was verse 1, right? And now he is here for his son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Now let's pause. What is Abraham thinking God is going to do? Well, God might provide a lamb up there for us. All of this can change. I trust my God. I'm going to be faithful to what he has said. God's going to provide. And he, he could have elaborated, son, I don't, I don't understand what God's doing here. But he didn't. He kept that in. He continues to trust. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order. Now it gets personal. And bound Isaac, his son. There was no fight. There was no resistance. And then he helps his son get on the altar. He lays them up there, him up there upon the wood. Remember, the boy is bound, so he's going to have some difficulty climbing up to get on top of this thing. So he helps laying up, lay him up there. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. We've heard it said, and I remember this from even hearing this story in my Sunday school classes. 
there was a knife over this boy's body. And it was ready to plunge. And the angel of the Lord called out unto him of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here's the third time, here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou any harm unto him, for now I know. Okay? You have passed the test. I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead, in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day. What does Jehovah-Jireh mean? The Lord will provide. And it's that way to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, be by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. I'm going to stop the reading there. What a passage. But let's go back now and let's look at the parallels. What we have been able to see in the life and the heart of Abraham is exactly what God wanted us to see about his own heart. Did Abraham fully understand what God intended to do? No. But I think he had a really good idea. We'll see that in a little bit, but what are the parallels here? Uh, you might want to mark these down. If you look at verse 2, thy son, thine only son, Isaac. God had an only son. He has an only son. By the way, his only son had a miracle birth. Abraham's only son had a miracle birth. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. The land of Moriah is most notably uh, or is most noted for a hill on the end of a mountain spine. If you visit Israel today and you visit the city of Jerusalem, you're on one of the mountains that Jerusalem sits on, but the one that runs right up through the middle is Mount Moriah. Do you know where the highest point of Mount Moriah is? Just below it, Pastor Coles and I have had some discussions about this recently, just below it is a place where King David one day bought a threshing floor from a man and it was on that threshing floor area that the temple of Solomon was built. But that wasn't the highest point. Just north of that point was the highest point. That would have been where Abraham 
set up the altar. He always worshiped at the high, at the high place. He set up the altar there, and do you know what that high mountain, you know where that, that top area is? It's a place that the Romans would later call Calvary or Golgotha. On the face of that top place, erosion and so on by the time of Jesus made it look like a skull. My personal conviction is where Abraham built that altar, later a cross was dropped in a ground. I believe the way God does his work probably in the very same spot. Only son, same hill. Only God can do that. Let's go on. End of verse 2. Notice, offer him there for a burnt offering. The parallel is that later God would have his own son die there as a blood offering, not a burnt offering. All those, blood, all those burnt offerings pointed to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And so a blood offering was offered on that hill for you and for me. And you sang about it tonight uh, in your worship to the Lord. What other parallels do we see? Look at verse 3. Abraham had claved the wood for a burnt offering. Do you know that many years later, someone cut down a tree and claved the wood, not for a burnt offering, but for what? A wooden cross. Did you notice who carried the wood up to the sacrifice site? The son. Who carried the cross up to that hill so that he could be our sacrifice? The son? Wow. So in both cases, the wood would be carried by the sacrifice. How often does that happen? It didn't happen twice, though it happened once. God gave a substitute for Abraham's son. There could be no substitute for God's only son. Let's go on. Verse 8. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. Do you know what that was? That was prophetic. And did God fulfill what Abraham said? He sure did. He sure did. Were there any prophecies made about the only Son of God going to that hill and giving himself a ransom for us? Oh, many, many, many prophecies. I would even suggest to you that here in Genesis 22, we just got to read one of those prophecies. God moving in the mind and the heart and the mouth of Abraham to tell us what he was going to do. If you look at verse 9, here's another parallel. He bound Isaac, his son, laid him up on the altar upon the wood. So understand what's happening here. He gives his son, and the one who is to be sacrificed willingly lays down on some wood. See any parallels there? When they took Jesus and they laid him on his cross, did he do it willingly? He sure did. In fact, 
I'm sure it took the Roman soldiers back because most often they would have to fight those guys and hold them down. This one was different. Willing submission. What else? Abraham stretched forth his hand, verse 10, and took the knife to slay his son. Now, what was going through his mind? And the parallel is here, but we're going to have to go to another part of Scripture to see the parallel. Would you hold your place here and go with me to Hebrews 11? I can't imagine this. I can't imagine what a father was thinking at a point like this, except that the Lord tells us what he was thinking. Look, please, at Hebrews 11 and verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, what a trial, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. (laughs) See, the Scripture tells us this is a parallel that we should make sure that we consider of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting. So this is what Abraham was thinking, that God was able to raise him up even from the what? From the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, all this happened. God allowed it to happen to be an illustration for us of what God experienced in his own heart. So what's the parallels? We go back to Genesis 22 and verse 13. Here it is. I'm sorry, verse 14. The parallel is resurrection. So imagine Abraham has the knife over his son and he's going to finish what God told him to do. But what's in his mind? I I can follow this thing completely through in obedience to the Lord, and God's going to raise him back up off this altar. Could God have done it? Many, many, many years later, for you and I, did he do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, where Golgotha is, just down the hill and around the corner, there was a garden. We know that because there is a huge cistern under that garden that they used to water all the plants there. And there was a rich man who had a tomb in that garden. You've heard of him. His name is Joseph of Arimathea. He had a tomb that had been specifically cut out for him whenever he died. And when Jesus died, he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And when you go in that tomb today, you can see uh, there's, a, there's a morning area where you walk in and then around the corner there are, uh, there's a place for two slabs, one where the body would have been placed and prepared, and then there's another slab. But that slab where the body of our Lord was laid, you can see that somebody, I mean, they they were very careful with these tombs. Somebody had gone in at the last minute and quickly with chisel made the tomb, that that bench area where they would lay the body, they made it bigger. They, They lengthened it. Now, 
Again, I believe that that is the tomb of our Lord. One of the things that Bible scholars will tell you is they've done tests in that tomb. Unlike the other Jewish tombs, there is no evidence of decay. Those other Jewish tombs over there are full of DNA. Family member would die, decay. They'd put their bones in a box underneath that slab I just spoke of. The next body would go up there. This tomb has no evidence of human decay. Because God did not allow his son to see corruption. We need to move on. And so in verse 14, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now let's conclude the text. Because I think it's so important that we look at verse 16 again. The Lord says to Abraham, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. There's one other passage, and it's in the book of James, that sheds light on this text. And I want us to close by going there tonight. This is not a parallel. We've seen parallels in the, in the chapter back in Genesis that tell us about the heart of our God and his love for us. But this helps us understand, and I love the narrative in Genesis 22 because it brings into focus how you and I get saved. And that does happen in the text. We just read it in verse 16. But go to James chapter 2. And would you look down at verse 21? James asks a question here. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? Now, wait a minute. That takes us back. And we know, if you know the letter that James wrote, he's not suggesting that works save. We're we're saved by grace through faith alone. But what is he referring to? Abraham, our father, believed God and therefore took his son up on that hill and was prepared to offer him when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Now, did he he finish it? No. No. But God saw it as complete obedience because he was going to follow through until God stopped him. And here's what we're told. Here's what we need to understand. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now this happens before what happened uh, in Genesis 22. He continues to believe God. It's counted for righteousness. It's counted for righteousness. But here, this is the ultimate test of this man's life. His only son, he's willing to offer his son. And when God saw his faith, God blessed him. How? Made him a great nation, certainly. But no, once again, God saw his faith and God declared him righteous. So what's the takeaway for us? What's the application for us? Abraham and Isaac and all the Jews were looking ahead to the coming Messiah. God will provide himself a sacrifice. What do you and I do? 
we look back now with this entire thing revealed to us. We look back and we believe that God gave his only begotten son who laid down on wood on that hill, was nailed to that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and gave his life a ransom for us. And by believing, we're saved. I love what the hymn writer said, look and live, my brother. Look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah. All you've got to do is look and live. I hope that God has used this to prepare our hearts tonight. When we come to the table, we're giving thanks to God the Son who died on a cross with you in mind, with me in mind. But when we come to the table, we're also remembering a perfect Father in heaven whose heart that day was broken. Abraham got reprieved. Did God get reprieved? No. No. If I could put it this way, God the Father lowered the knife. But it wasn't a knife. It was a hammer and spikes. It was a beating. In fact, multiple beatings. But it was through that suffering, those stripes, that crucifixion that we are healed. This is why, again, I, I don't understand. and I, Well, I do understand it because there was a day where the meaning was very limited to me because of where I was at spiritually. So I, I do get that. But the longer I know my Lord, the longer I understand my condition as a sinner and why I needed uh, to be saved, the more precious the table of the Lord becomes. I meet him here and I celebrate the fact that he went to that hill and he became my substitute. And he says, now come to my table, worship give thanks. I want to meet you there. I want to fellowship with you there because I love you and I proved it. Father, thank you for these, these texts that reveal to us that God so loved the world. Lord, we can quote John 3.16, but until we delve into these texts and we see the amazing love for God, uh, the, the amazing love for us that, that you have as our Father. Lord, such love demands my all and demands my worship. And so as we come to your table this evening, Lord, would you meet us here? Lord, would you accept our worship? Lord, if there's anything that is in our hearts that is not right with you, that we would confess that, just get that out of the way so that when we fellowship with you, our hearts are unimpeded. Holy Spirit, enable us. Uh, we can't do anything without you. And Lord, we can't worship you. Open our hearts, open our minds. And Lord, be pleased with our worship this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.